ladies and gentlemen, Greg Bruce. Smartest man in the world, Brewcast takes to the ether from high atop the Sheraton Delfina, located in gracious Santa Monica, California, at the unbelievable first anniversary, first annual LA Podcast Festival, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. Where people who podcast and lovers of podcasting come together in a Spartan atmosphere of a hotel ballroom with bizarre 80s Christian chandeliers hanging down from above. An unbelievable lighting pouring in from every goddamn direction. So the atmosphere is like a Christian science reading room in here, ladies and Everybody's gathered to join because these are the people who love podcasts that are here in the audience. We are the podcasters who are podcasting to you. And if I say podcast one more time, my brain is going to fucking explode. I want you to know that the valet parkers here have no idea what's going on this weekend at this hotel. Not only that, they don't know what a podcast is and they're frightened by it. I pulled up last night. I was doing Allison Rosen is my new best friend, which is an awesome podcast that Allison Rosen does. Me and Doug Benson were on it. We, Doug and I went to his room, and uh, I don't know how fast you can set up grow lights, but he seemed to have already had a whole ranchero going on in there. It was awesome. There were so many red hairs coming off buds in the room that the theme from I Love Lucy was playing when I walked into the room. Thank you for remembering that. I really appreciate it. I, the door opened up and it was. Da, 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 da. Uh, I pulled up last night to park and uh, it was it was the darkest of nights. As you know, the weather here in LA is harsh. Sometimes it drops down into the high 50s at night. You know, a lot of people. Oh, I'm from the Midwest and we had floods and shit. Um, you're a bad decision maker. You live in the Midwest. That's your tough shit. That the Bible's on your dick all the time. Here in California. I believe it was uh, Dr. Dre who once said barbecues every night. Uh, and that's what we did because we got the weather. So it was a little bit nippy last night and I pulls up here. And I don't come to this part of Santa Monica that often. I'm afraid that I'm not a person who comes to the Civic Center adjacent parking lot uh, as much as I might. When I come to Santa Monica, it's for two reasons. To surf like a motherfucker. And to hunt down and kill people in my other job as a bounty hunter. Now, so a lot of times they hide out at the bars near the beach. So I pulls up last night, uh, like Grace Jones, to the bumper and drove it in between. And, uh, I, uh, and I says to the valet, I says, valet, uh, sir, uh, I'm here. He goes, are you, are you checking in? And I said, no. And that crushing disappointment. His face, his face went from one of high expectation to a pizza of discomfiture and pain. Come in. Come in in the back. Please, come in. There's a huge ball. Oh, it's you, Jeff. Don't skulk around the fucking door. <laughs> Go downstairs to Super Ego. Tell them my show's starting. Theirs is waning. And then it's time for them to get up here. I have no idea what's on after this. Oh, there's a program somewhere. Um, so I pulls up and I says to him, I'm, he goes, I'm, you're not checking in? I'm like, no. I go, I'm here for the, I swear to God, I'm here for the L.A. Podcast Festival. And he goes, okay. <laughs> he couldn't even say it. Paka, paka. And I, yes, the paka. And he, he like, no parking, no parking for you. And I go, will, will you valet park me? And this is where I blew it. I didn't bribe him. And I really thought about it. I had a crispy picture of Andrew Jackson, not a 20, just a picture of Andrew Jackson. <laughs> that I had rendered on the way over with charcoal um, because I adore Andrew Jackson's hair. If you have a 20 on you now, if you're in a foreign country, you have to imagine this. But if you're in America right now or, any, uh, or Guam or the Virgin Islands or any of our... What, you're done filming? Okay, fuck you. What Whatevs. You come up, you stand too close. My pores aren't that small. You film and then you fuck off in the middle of it and I have no idea. Is this a documentary about the LA Podcast Fest? Or is this a, a final statement about the L.A. Podcast Festival? <laughs> or is this the first video, Greg Proop's uh, Smartest Man in the World podcast? There's so many questions. If you'll notice, if you're, if you're in a foreign country right now, and if you're at work, awesome time to take a break, have a drink. <laughs> or light one up, or whatever it is you're going to do, and waste some of your boss's precious fucking man hours. 
if you work for Bain, this is an awful time, an awesome time, or an awful time, if you will. One, it's an awful time to work for Bain. Two, it's an awesome time to go to one of the vending machines and fill it up with a bizarre multicolored liquid that they think will pass off as an explosive device, but is really just Fanta. Um, are you suggesting terrorism? No, I was suggesting a prank. Uh, and, and, but you have to go online and look up Andrew Jackson. If you're an American, take out your wallet right now. Uh, if you're living on the street, then there's no possible way you're listening to this, so you don't have a wallet. But tilt your cardboard box toward the area where this is broadcasting from the ether. And if you look at a picture of Andrew Jackson, our seventh and sexiest president, you'll notice that his haircut is bitchin'. There's no other way to describe it. With a haircut like this, he should be in a movie called State Fair. Or like Surf Party or something. Andrew Jackson's Old Hickory Surf Party. When he fought in the Battle of New Orleans, which took place after the end of the War of 1812, the war had been concluded. The Treaty of Ghent had been signed, I think, some two weeks before. We didn't get the news because there wasn't iPhones in those days. How did people live? Imagine living in Andrew Jackson's day when a carrier pigeon came to your door and tapped at it. Uh, and that's how you got messages and shit like that. Um, he, uh, he had the best hair of any president. There's no question about it. Bill Clinton had good hair, but he looked like Pogo Possum. You remember Pogo Possum from the Walt Kelly cartoon? You know, half-closed eyes, that kind of silver shock. Hey, how's it going? You know? uh, Andy Jackson's hair says, I am going to preach, and then I'm going to rock out a little bit. Uh, he could so play bass in a fucking rockabilly band with his hair. It is awesome, and that's why I love him most of all. But wasn't he a fascist and didn't like the gold standard? Uh, he hated his vice president more violently than any other human he knew. That's how awesome Andrew Jackson was. And he didn't get the name Old Hickory because it was like he was like a tree that wove in the breeze and like fucking had flowers and birds alighted on him. No. He was called Old Hickory because he was hard as fuck. His men gave him the name Old Hickory. As in Patton's men gave him the name Blood and Guts. It wasn't a cheerful like, oh, fucking Blood and Guts. <laughs> when we die and our stomachs explode and we're laying on the side of the road and he commits more men than he needs to to be fucking killed in this battle, it really warms our hearts. Go, General. <clears throat> they didn't call him Old Hickory because they thought he was a delightful carving that would live on your stoop. <laughs> they called him Old Hickory because the dude had... He's the last president to have fought in the Revolutionary War, and he was president in the 1820s. That's how, he was a teenage captive of the British. Lifelong hatred of the British. So imagine his diplomacy. He wouldn't deal with the British. It was like 10 fucking years after the war. And then he fought in the War of 1812 against the British as a general. So he was a maniac. And for that, I love him. And very sexy. And they've totally photoshopped him on the 20. Like, he was an ancient president like Reagan. I think he was elected his first term. He was like 68 or 69, which was quite old then. You were mostly deceased by that age uh, in, the, in that period of time. And, um, and, and he looks super sexy in 45 in this, which he never was. I mean, he was 45, but not when he was president. And I'm just going to keep waving this 20 at you. Because this is what I should have done with this fucking valet last night. I should have gone, President Jackson wants you to park my fucking Subaru. Because I drive an 88 Justy. <clears throat> but he wouldn't park me. And then he gave me a fucking map. And you know that you're in the fucking land of the lost and the skeezics are on your dick when... Someone hands you a fucking map and goes, there's a parking lot. And I'm like, well, where is it? And he goes, oh, it's just around the corner. Okay, lie after fucking lie. This is like watching Paul Ryan explain his position on life. You're Weasley. You're acting like Mr. Bean. You've given me some bullshit piece of paper that has nothing on it. So I had to drive all the way around the block and park down in the Civic Center parking lot. And I was scared, frankly. I've been violated before in a parking lot. I don't know if you have. I mean, it was me. I did it myself. <laughs> In space, no one can hear you scream, and no one could hear me call out, Greg, stop it! Because I was like, you know you fucking want it. And I did. I was high when I parked, duh. And it says there's three giant signs in the Santa Monica Civic Center parking lot. And the first one says, park your car, which is like, you got to be fucking kidding me. Then the second one says, Pay at, keep your card that they give you, because no longer are humans allowed to work. <clears throat> we've replaced all car parking attendants. We've replaced everyone at the airport. We've replaced... Uh, now you go to uh, supermarkets and stuff and drugstores and there's no one there 
There's those weird, awful, lonely scanner things and a plastic bag, and you have to do it yourself. And I always think, why? Aren't, isn't this why we're humans? So that we can have intercourse with other... I don't mean physical intercourse. I mean social intercourse with other humans. Yeah, but it's really convenient to put, do it yourself. No, it's not. It's not. It's dehumanizing to do everything yourself. You'll have to talk to another human at some point in your life. Well, I like to go online and shop. Really? What other fucking solitary pastimes do you pursue <laughs> that I don't want to fucking know about, okay? Go to a store, goddammit, like a human. But um, it's really convenient online. You know what else is convenient? Living on a fucking iceberg and shit. What are you, Superman? Join the world. So he gives me this fucking map, and I park down there, and, and then the third sign says, pay uh, 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 your card off before you come back, and there's no sign of any machine anywhere. And I fucking walked around the parking lot for a while, kind of high, kind of crying a little, and then I walked over to this other building because I thought, well, the building will contain the machine. Then I walked over to a, a Quonset hutty type thing, and it was just a big, giant dumpster, and I thought, oh, my God, raccoon, and then there wasn't. <laughs> I hallucinated a raccoon. I precognitively, preemptively hallucinated a raccoon. There wasn't even one. And I was like, raccoon! And then, oh, no raccoon. And then I took another look. Not even a possum, nothing. And you think, fuck you, Santa Monica. You're supposed to be all open-minded and have animals. And yet your dumpsters that are overflowing have no fucking wildlife near them. Come to West Hollywood. I'll show you fucking people living in the dumpsters. Uh, and uh, then I went to this little hut that said parking thing, and it wasn't it at all. Then finally I found it. It was in the middle of the middle of the lot. Shouldn't it be on your way back out, a giant machine conveniently located with Klieg lights on it and a red fucking siren on top of it and, you know, like spotlights or whatever, like a premiere? That would have been helpful, helpful to me. I'm blind. I'm deaf. I wear sunglasses at night, and I can't see shit. So I need fucking directions. That's all I'm saying, and the crowd goes quiet. Maybe you should work on some of your issues, Greg, instead of telling us not to shop online or whatever. Maybe you should get your own fucking show. And stop judging and start worshiping. Seriously. The LA Podcast Festival would like to thank the many generous Kickstarter donors. Oh, that's sweet. Kickstarter is such an awesome way to beg in the 21st century. I'm going to stand in front of the hotel with a tin cup that says, needs to be smarter on it. Will work for synapses. <laughs> Let's see what's at the LA Podcast Festival. This is the program here. It's the first one. It's the inaugural one. It's the kickoff one. Uh, and it doesn't really have a lot of text. Oh, here's a good one. Sideshow Network. I don't even know what that is. Is that a TV network? Somehow, Sideshow Network would like to thank everyone who helped make our first year so successful. Alonzo Bowden, I know him. He's not here. Thank you, Alonzo. I don't know what you did, but I love it. The smartest man in the world. Kittens McTavish. It's the grand high bad Asador himself, colon. I didn't write this. <laughs> Comedian Greg Proops, period. Listen in rapt awe. I think you'll find it's gaze in breathless wonder. <laughs> As the Proop master... Rootmaster, that's so close to onanism. <laughs> I'm, I, I, my name already has enough scatological and every other type of uh, references attached to it. I, I, I don't need self-love as another one. Uh, physical self-love. Wax is philosophical and otherwise brilliant. Oh, I like that sentence. On topics from the grandeur of Negro League baseball to the so-called boring preachy parts. No, they're not so-called. I fucking call them that. <laughs> It's like when people call people legendary. Really? So you're like Paul Bunyan, you don't exist, and there's a giant ox that follows you around? <laughs> Man, that dude's legendary. No, he exists. <laughs> I, I think you'll find the god of thunder, Thor, is legendary. <laughs> uh, guests? Question mark? Never. Period. Oh, that's true. As Whistler said, oh, look, they listened to the show. If other people are going to talk, conversation becomes impossible. That's true. And we wouldn't want to anger his proopness, now would we? Well, there's an irrelevant question. <laughs> By all means, don't anger me. Uh, unless you want... Male chimp. Someone's one circle above a... Thought circle above a man's head looks to be a peas in a pod, and the other person's male chimp circle above their head is someone's foot in a cast. 
podcast. Yeah. It's, it's a very large, ungratifying rebus. Which is also, by the way, my dancer name. Large, ungratifying rebus. I'll be performing downstairs at the Delfina Lounge next to the pool if anyone needs me after this show. And by the way, Graham Elmwood, whom I adore and who has a show with Chris Mancini called Comedy Film Nerds, uh, which is a marvelous show about motion pictures, uh, uh, introduced the show and said that I will be available afterward to talk to you. I will not fucking be available afterward. I've got to go to the airport. I'm going to San Francisco. Well, if you're in such a bloody hurry, why don't you go now? All right, I fucking will. Uh, I have to go there uh, to take a plane. Really? What else would you go to the airport for? Just to hang out and drink. (laughs) Start some shit. If you want to communicate with me, smartestatospecialthing.com is my email, and I will email you back. All right, I know there's the 30 people who haven't been emailed in the last four days, but that's because I haven't got to you yet, but I will. I do email you back. And if you wish to question me on the show or query or poke or prod or pose some sort of uh, interrogatory to me, fan mail for Greg at gmail.com. Wait a minute, I got it completely wrong. My email is fanmail for... Wait a minute, what are we doing here? Podcast. Right, I got it. If you want to electronically mail me personally, it's fanmail4greg at gmail.com. And if you want to uh, uh, email the show and ask, ask a question, if you want, like Lizzie Borden, to ask me something... Then it's smartest at, thank you, you were right not to laugh at that, smartest at a special, <laughs> smartest at a special thing.com. Uh, we'll be in Mesa, Arizona at the Mesa Center for the Performing Arts. Uh, Diane will be there at, uh, next, uh, on the Saturday next, the 20th. And uh, Mesa is a weird place, man. My Aunt Marge lived in Mesa, and uh, my Uncle Ray owned a TV repair shop, and uh, it was called Ray D.O. Ray, R-A-Y, D-E-E-O. And I, we used to play in there when I was little, inside the dead TVs, because I loved my Uncle Ray, and my Uncle Ray spoke like that bear on the Country Bear cartoon. <laughs> Hi, Uncle Ray. How are you today? <laughs> so we'd go to the shop, And there was an area where he was working on TVs that people had brought him. Believe it or not, in the old days, people didn't have flat-screen TVs. They had giant TVs with tubes in them and and resistors and capacitors and every other manner of... And TVs would get out of alignment because of the electricity and you had to de-gauss them. A person came to your house and ran an electronic wand in front of your television set. I'm not kidding. And uh, as a child growing up in the uh, the 40s, as I did... um, you had to get up and turn the channel. You were the remote control for your parents. Your dad would go, get up, fucking change it. I don't want to watch that. And then like you get up and there was only four channels. So you clunk. And then when, it, when remote controls came in, eventually in the 60s, uh, uh, it was mechanical. So you'd push a button and electronically the channel changer, which was a circle on the TV, would go clunk like that and change channels. <laughs> and that's how it fucking worked. And I remember inviting people over to watch The Wizard of Oz and Peter Pan uh, and just cry all night and talk about fried green tomatoes. I wasn't gay, and I made no case for it as a child. I just realized the two shows I'd said. <laughs> Peter Pan and The Wizard of Oz. Me and Liza and Lorna Luft used to just sit around. No. TV was black and white, largely, until about the mid-60s, and then it started to be gradually color. And when you had a color TV, that was a big fucking deal. So we had a color TV, and I would invite kids over to watch The Wizard of Oz, because they would... And Danny Kaye would introduce the show. Danny Kaye was a comedian. I know there's a lot of young people here. Danny Kaye was a very funny comedian, a very sexy comedian, who dyed his hair red, and whose original name was Daniel Kaminsky. He started like Jerry Lewis as a tumbler, right? Which means he would be in a hotel much like this, and rather than sitting behind a mic like I'm doing and pretending there's some dignity in this craft, would actually do what comedians do, which is get up and make fun of everyone in the room. Look at this fucking guy with the sweater. That was tumbling. You'd pick up people's luggage and you'd confuse it and then you'd go like that. And that was tumbling. Uh, And then he graduated to be a famous comedian star. Danny Kaye would introduce The Wizard of Oz and then go, boys and girls, don't freak out. It changes from black and white to color in the middle. And tell you that the movie was going to change color and shit. As if you were sitting at home and went, ah, oh, fuck. (laughs) 
I was living in this weird world of, of, of shades of gray, and then all of a sudden, boom, technicolor, all of a sudden reality jumped into my life. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, we would watch that. And then I remember Rudolph, that, remember the, they, still, they still show Rudolph, right? The one with, you know, I'm cute, I'm cute, all that. They must, because too many comics do Island of Misfit Toy references still for that to have died. It's not quite at the Hamburglar level. Hamburglar as a reference is on life support because you have to be 39 years old to know who the fucking Hamburger is. So you get in front of a crowd of college kids and go, I like the fucking Hamburglar. They're like, grandfather, grandfather. What was it like when Lincoln was assassinated? Quiet. I stayed till the end of the play. I mean, I paid. That should be the slogan of this show. Sick, sick Semper Tyrannus. So be it with tyrants. Uh, and then uh, they showed Rudolph. And one year our TV broke in the middle of Rudolph. And my dad went downtown to a TV store. And, and got another one somehow. And we watched the end of it. I remember that. Uh, yeah, Hamburglar's about done. Island of Misfit Toys is still alive. Uh, heat Miser? I don't know if we're on the bubble on the Heat Miser. No, we're still... Heat Miser's still alive. There's a few, though. As I get older, I notice I can no longer make references to, you know... You can kind of do Starsky and Hutch because I think Simon Pegg has resurrected all that shit uh, to the point where you can still talk about it. But, um, you know, Mr. T references are are walking that long last mile. (laughs) They're being given a cigarette and a mask. You know what I'm saying? It's almost over for some references. Not on my show, of course. Because I don't reference here. What we do is homage. Welcome to the show. Super Ego just break out or? There was a shuttle? The space shuttle. Oh, the space shuttle. Oh, that's right. They brought the space shuttle back to LA because everyone here wasn't irradiated yet. One thing you want to do is take something that's been in space and faced untold unforeseen fucking alien winds that have cursed our fucking universe. You don't know what's on the space shuttle. You don't know if they've cleaned it. Did anyone ever see the Andromeda strain for fuck's sake? Did Michael Crichton die for no reason whatsoever? If you remember the plot of the Andromeda strain, a probe comes back from space and has a piece of green shit on it. And in that green shit, it turns your blood to alkali, right? And the only people who can survive it are babies who scream a lot or drunks who drink a lot. So I'm fucking safe. And two counts, because I'm a baby who screams a lot and I'm a drunk who drinks a lot. I'm serious when I say that. They brought the Endeavor back, then they flew it over town, uh, and, and it piggybacked on the back of a plane. And people were like, man, this is interesting. What is this, science and shit? I mean, there's always that argument, right? And on the one hand, there's the Ray Bradbury view of the universe where you're like, well, we should reach for the stars and we should hope to go out to other universes and make contact with other civilizations and, and hopefully they won't, you know, they won't look like they do in the movies. They won't be all spongy with those weird heads and shit. And, and, and why do they always kind of walk with a weird lilt and have unformed fingers and look fetusy? If they're way advanced, aren't they going to be like really great looking? I mean, if I have aliens, they're going to look like Charlize Theron and Montgomery Clift. You know what I'm saying? They're going to get off the ship and you're going to go, eat us, do what you like. You know what I mean? Like, you came to conquer us, fuck us first, please, aliens. Uh, but they always have that weird sandwich head. And, uh, I, I, and then, they, there's, then there's the other point of view that says that uh, NASA is a branch of the Defense Department and that the only reason they do any of these fucking things is so that we can wipe out other people here on Earth at all times and potentially anyone else who's coming for us. Um, so you, you, be, you be the judge on that one. I think you know where I come down on that one. Uh, I think the shuttle is full of fucking irradiated alien germs. I would no more go see it than I would have myself launched into fucking space and then come back and be like, shake my hand. <laughs> Hi, Dave. Dave Anthony has a show called Walking the Room with my very good friend, Greg Barron. Dave, do you have guests on your show? Uh, rarely. But you did invite me once. You're on the list. I'm on the list. He did invite me once. To be fair, I was going to slam their show for never having me on, but to be fair, you did invite me and I couldn't do it because uh, I was washing my hair with Prell that night. <laughs> Prell's still alive. Hooray. Hooray for Prell. Hooray for Prell. 
Good for you. We got a pearl reference in. I love it. Now, if I drop a pearl in the top of it and watch it slowly sink to the... Nah, I just lost you. <laughs> we'll be in Donvier, Colorado on the 25th, as well as a weekend at the Comedy Works there, which is an outstanding city and an outstanding comedy club, and I adore them there. Uh, a bit high up in the air, but it, it makes the alcohol work gooder. Um, <laughs> we'll be at Bar Lubitsch in scintillating West Hollywood. Uh, uh, Cockblocktober will be over by then. It'll be uh, rockin' November, uh, and uh, we're across from the Pleasure Chest where there is a comedy show there occasionally. I did it with T.J. Miller there, and there's, like, leather underwear hanging on a peg behind you, so it really screams to the heart of satire. Uh, you can feel the fist of satire enter, <laughs> enter the tunnel of wit. Uh, and then it will be at the Nerd Melt the very next night. Yeah, that's the kind of fucking balls I have. If Bill Clinton was describing my show, he'd go, that's a lot of brass. <laughs> The 7th, I'll be at the Lubitsch the very next night at the Nerd Melt because I think we're splitting the crowd up. The Lubitsch is a vodka bar and people can drink there and it has a really lovely uh, cerise back room uh, full of nudes. I, I mean, the people aren't nude. The paintings are nude and uh, the nudes are hanging. And then the Nerd Melt is a, a place where men who could change their T-shirt more go. <laughs> who think that the first judge dread is an abomination. Uh, I'll be at the Nerd Meld on the 8th of November, eh? and then back at uh, the Lubitsch uh, uh, on the 14th of November, and then in London, uh, England, for those of you uh, English kittens, uh, I'll be over at the Soho Theatre again, and hopefully the sound guy will have it fucking together this time. Uh, we'll be at the Soho Theatre on the 2nd, and uh, yeah, that's a fun gig if you're ever in London. Uh, the Soho Theatre, first of all, it's a nice venue, but secondly, there's a bar right in the fucking venue, unlike this place, where you have to make an arduous journey all the way downstairs. I don't know if you ever saw that movie Milo and Otis and whatnot, but they had to walk so far just to get like a cookie and whatever. And that's what it's like here. Like you're like, I'm like a terrier searching for my home or whatever. I just, I'm going to die on the way to the bar here. That's why it took so long for Jeff to bring this fucking vodka. Uh, the Soho has a bar right there in the venue. And they always say this to me, uh, um, Greg, if you ever deal with English people, a couple of tips. One, if they use the sentence, are you happy, at the beginning of the phrase that they're about to hit you with, that means they're not going to do anything and the game's already over. <laughs> like in America, when people go, whatevs, you know it's over, right? Like, where, is it okay to park here? Will I get towed? Whatever. You know you're going to get towed. In London, if someone goes, are you happy? If they start with that sentence, you're fucked. Eight ways from Wednesday. Because are you happy means it's already fucked and it's not going to happen. But are you happy, meaning it's going to happen anyway, will you live with it? So they always say things to me like, Gregory, are you happy for the show to start late? Well, no, I'm not happy. Why are you characterizing it that way? First of all, you're English. So the idea that you're happy at any time. <laughs> happy is an anathema to you. You didn't invent happy. You invented bitter and cynical. For fuck's sake, you're England. Uh, no, I'm not happy. Why would a country where no one's ever happy ask you if you were happy? It'd be like... Seriously, it'd be like going to Germany and go like, so around Hanukkah. <laughs> Kidding, I, I'm in Iran. Um, at the Soho, they go, are you happy to have the bar open during the show? And that's the one time I am happy. Happy to have the bar open, I'm ecstatic. If there was only an IV that could go from the bar into me, then the humor would flow more freely. Uh, the 19th of December at uh, the Attic in Bloomington, Indiana. Yeah, you fucking heard me. Thank you. We have people from Indiana here? Right on. Did you come out here just for the podcast festival? Yep. Golly, what dedication. Well, if I slammed you guys, I'm, I guess I owe you a pretty big apology. Did you, did you donate to Kickstarter? You did? What's your name? There you are, Heidi Miller, right? You're in between Gregory Bevington and James O'Connor. You're forming a small, formidable law firm. Bevington, Miller, and O'Connor, how may I help you? <laughs> Thank you, Heidi Miller. That was really nice of you. One, to give money. Has anyone bought Heidi Miller a drink, you cheap pishes? <laughs> she gave money and she flew from Indiana to come here. Or however she got here from Indiana. It's not easy to leave Indiana. M elaborate measures must be enacted. I don't know about you, but the last time I left, it was with the Wizard of Oz and a balloon. <laughs> I'm an old Kansas man myself. 
Uh, then we'll be at the Punchline in San Francisco on the day before New Year's. But we'll be there for the whole New Year's week, too. But we'll be podcasting that night. So come and visit us at our live things. Well, it's probably time to start this show. <laughs> uh, and when we start the show, we start with corrections, addendums, uh, intrusions, incursions, accessions, uh, successions, cock block And here we go. Uh, people write me at my email. And someone wrote me, their name was Dr. Trauma. Dr. Trauma writes me, EGAD, exclamation point. You know how I feel about exclamation points, but it's okay. I don't think you can actually write the word EGAD without an exclamation point after it. Uh, or uh, you have to be a, 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 a bad guy from a 19th century melodrama. <laughs> There's only two times you can use the word e- three times. One, if you're in a Shakespeare play, you can say EGAD. And then I think it's plural in Shakespeare, isn't it? EGADs uh, and gadzooks. Uh, and, or uh, you're a 19th century um, villain in a melodrama, in which case you must twirl your mustache when you say egad, uh, and twirl your cape, and then um, um, t- tighten the bonds on the last that you have uh, uh, t- um, you know, pinioned to the railroad tracks. <laughs> but if you're going to use egad in an email, I suppose you have to put an exclamation point after it. Or you could put brackets around it and make it confusing. Egad. <laughs> Why does it stand on its own? Just finished the last vodcast, and he spells it with a C, V-O-D-C-A-S-T. I spell it the Russian way. <laughs> V-O-D-K-A-S-T. And you neglected to pick a pitcher for the all-Caesar baseball team. I shiver with anticipation. Thank you. That's how they, he actually read it that way. So come up to the lab <laughs> and see what's on the slab. Uh, I'm going to get to the uh, all-Caesar baseball team in a second. It was from the last episode, Gators. But I want to cover a couple of other things before I do. Dear Proop Gregory I, get it? (laughs) There were 26 popes named Gregory. (laughs) There were 26 popes named Gregory. Uh, Proop Gregory I? Proop, he was doing Pope Gregory I? One of the Gregories was important, too. I don't know which one. I have a book on popes. I, in fact, I have a, bu- a book at home called Ten Popes That Shook the World, and I'm not kidding. <laughs> it was written by a priest, so it's a little skewed. It, you know what? It skews male. <laughs> I believe it was the Catholic Church who said, uh, Popes before hoes. <laughs> Dear Proop Gregory I, yes, please rise. In Domine Patre. Do you renounce Satan? I renounce Satan. Do you, Michael Corleone? Do you renounce Satan? I renounce Satan. We're on the scoreboard. We got Bruno Tataglia last night. Tom, Tom, just help me win. Tom, how about one for old time's sake? Sorry, Sally. No can do. Tell Mike it wasn't personal. I always liked him. Tell him it was business. That was my Abe Vigoda impression. <laughs> I was listening to your most recent podcast, and I would like to inform you that the plural noun... I would like to inform you. Really? Would you? <laughs> well, why don't you email it to an email address that gives a fuck? <laughs> Uh, I would like to inform you that the plural noun for gator is a congregation. And then in capital letters with an exclamation point, yes, a congregation of gators. Well, that was most emphatic. Uh, A person who wrote this to me. I don't have your email somehow. Um, I get it. I believe the one found in New York was an Irish Catholic congregation, and experts agree. I'll see. Because in the last episode, I talked to the New York Post. It said five gators had been found in New York since they found a subsequent gator, um, or subsequently they found a gator. I'm not sure grammatically how that just worked out. <laughs> since they found a subsequent gator. See how fluid and flexible English be? <laughs> Dunby. Uh, and then the New York Post uh, had said that there was a... a, a I can't remember what they called it, a group or the latest to add to the... What was it? A quintet. A quintet of gators, which I was like, really? Because you don't see gators forming quintuplets or quintets that often, really. Although if they did, they could have played with Miles Davis and John Coltrane. (laughs) 
Uh, I believe the one found in New York. Well, I hope this was helpful. Please write back love. And I don't have your name here. I love you too. Thank you. I happened to go online after this Congregation of Gators assertion, and I found that one site indicated that, um, by the way, I went to alligator.com because it advertised your one-stop internet. (laughs) It actually said... The comprehensive stop for alligator information on the internet. Like, okay. And then when I got to the site, this site is available. You know, it had one of those. Like, whoever owned alligator.com fucking dropped the fucking leathery egg. Because you can buy alligator.com and put whatever you like there. I would put the song by Cameo, Alligator Woman, there. And just have it play endlessly whenever you went to it. Alligator woman, you don't care. You mess with my desire. It ain't fair. You're big behind. It makes me blind. You make me hot with what you've got. And then, because it's the 80s, you're big behind. <laughs> Fucking good jam. Do yourself a favor. Go on your iPhone after the show's over and watch Alligator Woman by Cameo. First of all, it combines New Wave with funk from the 80s very unsuccessfully. There's more yellow sunglasses and fucking shock dues than you've ever seen in one fucking since the last Cindy Lauper video. And secondly, wow. Good song, though. Uh, I, I found that the American alligator is a congregation of gators. Uh, and that, or also, I, one thing said crocodiles come in a congregation. Alligators are also found in a pod, if you can believe that. And a basque which I adore, a basque of alligators. Uh, however, what if they were basque alligators? That begs another question. Greg, I think you'll find there are no alligators in the basque country. It's a mountainous region, but it borders on the sea, and they were famous whalers, and they made ships and whatnot. This one's ran into a cul-de-sac. Anyway, now that we've settled the whole pluralization of groups of alligator issue. We can go back to our, the matter at hand, uh, which is that I suggested that uh, I think I said Tristan Zara or Salvador Dali, I can't remember who I said, used to walk a, a, a lobster on a leash, but it wasn't. I was wrong about that. My wife corrected me uh, from this, and this is from Harper's Magazine. It was the poet Gerard de Naval. He had a penchant, as they say, a penchant for lobsters, or at least for one lobster, Nerval was seen one day taking his... Because there was a question that came up about whether keeping alligators was dangerous and unwholesome and unhealthy to keep. And I said that, no, exotic animals are fun. Uh, For instance, one poet walked a lobster on a leash. This is that poet. Nerval was seen one day taking his pet lobster for a walk in the gardens of the Palais Royal in Paris. He conducted his crustacean about at the end of a long blue ribbon. That's fucking class. (laughs) How do you think he made it go forward? Would he just like... Butter. You know, what did, he, what did he do to propel that fucking lobster forward? I'm sure it didn't have rubber bands on its claws. As word of this feat of eccentricity spread, Nerval was challenged to explain himself. And what, he said, could be so ridiculous as making a dog, a cat, a gazelle, a lion, or any other beast follow one about? I have an affection for lobsters. They are tranquil, serious, and they know the secrets of the sea. Well, then they would know that a congregation of alligators only applies if they're American. The episode is captured by uh, Guillaume Apollinaire in a collection of anecdotes from 1911. That's how cool this guy was. Gerard de Naval was uh, pre-World War I walking a lobster on a blue ribbon through the Palais Royal. Is there any basis to this story? A generation of Nerval scholars attempted to debunk it, but then a letter to his childhood friend Laura Lebeau was discovered. Nerval had just returned from some days at the seaside at the Atlantic coastal town of La Rochelle, which, as you know, was held by the Huguenots uh, during that part of French history when uh, Victor Hugo's writing about the musketeers. And so... Dear Laura, upon my regaining the town square, I was accosted by the mayor who demanded that I should make a full and frank apology for stealing from the lobster nets. I will not bore you with the rest of the story, but suffice to say that reparations were made. Lobster reparations. (laughs) And that little Tebow is... Yes, he called his lobster Tebow. No, it didn't kneel down and pray. It's spelled different. And that little Tebow, I forgot I made a sports reference to this fucking crowd... Sports are, uh, uh, rapey guys, uh, where do I start, how do I explain sports to you guys? You know that comic book, uh, you know that graphic novel, um, uh, 
Okay, never mind. You, uh, have you ever been late um, because the comic book store was about to close and you had to run a few yards? That's what sports are like. Except it's a whole bunch of people and they wear different outfits and shit. It's just like that. But when they get to the end, they don't buy a comic book. I mean, a graphic novel. I will not bore you with the rest of the story, but suffice to say that reparations were made and little Tebow is now here with me in the city. Nerval, it seems, had liberated Tebow the lobster from certain death in a pot of boiling water and brought him home to Paris. Thus we know that it was Tebow and not just some lobster. <laughs> you know, there's one thing you can say with almost unfucking erring certainty. It's that crustaceans have huge egos. And when you lump them all together as just some lobster or that crab or whatever, they scuttle and they give you the fucking stock eye. You know what I'm saying? They give you the stock eye. They don't dig it is what I'm saying. So name your lobster who went for that celebrated promenade in the gardens of the Palais Royal. Uh, maybe it was Gabe Chaconu. In any case, uh, that, that settles that. It was Gerard de Nerval. Uh, I, th- I think I said it was Dolly. I was wrong. I also said that Milt Abel said everyone has 12 separate destinies every day that believes in their horoscope. I believe that it's, um, I think it was John Ross. I'm, I'm another comic from San Francisco. I like to get things right. Uh, about this Roman emperor baseball team, that was off the top of my head and I was kind of hammered. And uh, uh, if you didn't listen to the last episode, then you have no idea what I'm talking about. So let me hip you to the jive. Uh, someone asked me a question and they, they, they preceded it with this, sit down. They preceded it with... <laughs> we'll wait. And then we as a group will decide on whether you should have left or not. Uh, the question was this. This woman came up uh, in line and said, um, Do you, would, would you rather hear my favorite question or my best question? or some, I can't remember what the distinction was. I'm pretty vague on my own show, you may have noticed. My recollection... Are you reading the program right now, for real, lady? Um, The room's brightly lit. I can see what all of you are doing. When you look at your watch, when you yawn, when you're reading the program, I can see you. There's no anonymity here today. You're a lobster on a blue ribbon in the Palais Royale. And you're not just some lobster. You're fucking Tebow to me. I know who you are. I got Heidi back there and shit. Uh, No relation to Barney Miller, because he was so funny on TV. There's a reference that just about expired across the finish line there. Uh, uh, And and so I said, I want your favorite question. And so her favorite question was, if you had a a, a baseball team of Roman emperors, which combines so many things on the show. Of course, I love baseball. I love Roman emperors. And we combine them to two good things. So my team was... Uh, uh, if you had, first of all, it's kind of a fallacious, I mean, it's a hilarious premise. The Romans wouldn't have played baseball. They had sports like tying a lady to a bull and having the bull jump around until the lady was disintegrated or a group of dwarves fighting lesbians. And I'm not kidding in the Colosseum. They had the most Baroque, awful, violent fucking bullshit you could possibly imagine. The first day the Colosseum opened with the Flavian Amphitheater, uh, uh, I think it was Titus who opened it, or I guess Domitian built it and then Titus opened it. We call it the Colosseum, right? But it was called the Flavian Amphitheater. It held like 50,000 people. The first day they were open, 5,000 animals killed. Or first week, maybe. And then, uh, I mean, they literally, just, there was animals all over the Middle East and Africa, and there were none left by the end of the Roman Empire because they killed them all in their various Colosseums. They really had a nasty sense of humor. And all gladiators didn't die, by the way. Sometimes they lived. I mean, in the movies, it's always that, you know, oh, kill him and whatnot, and the Russell Crowe, and they wear the funny masks and shit. But uh, they did have all the various ones, right? There was the guy with the trident who wore the little thing, and then the, the people who wore the greaves and had one sword. And, and um, Commodus did actually fight, as portrayed by Joaquin Phoenix in the movie, uh, did actually fight in the Colosseum against other gladiators. They got a wooden sword, and he got a real one, uh, just to level the playing field. It's a little bit like the Republican platform right now. We get a steel sword and we offer you this plastic Fisher Price sword. Now defend yourself. And the crowd goes quiet again. I forgot. I learned last night at the Allison Rosen podcast, not a political group here. Evidently a lot more controversy 
over the whole new Total Recall movie than there is. <laughs> hey, man, it doesn't matter who the leader of the country is, but they shouldn't have fucked up the first one. It was really good. I hope the buffet's open. Uh... I gave the manager as Julius Caesar. They, in other words, the Romans had... Ch- the two biggest sports were the games, which was the gladiators and killing animals. They would, they would like... It's so gross what they would do and so awesome. Uh, they would have a pack of panthers and they'd send a bunch of people out with bows and arrows and that would be the game. Like, there's 20 panthers that are fucking... have been kept in a cage, poked and starved, so they're mad. And then, here's your bow and arrow. Get out there. And then... <laughs> The horrible part about the Coliseum when you go is the, the, the floor is no longer there. The Coliseum is a theater. So what you see in the movies, that dirt and shit, was a wooden stage that they poured dirt on. And the dirt was to soak up the blood and the spit and the sputum and the... Ugh. And uh, it's all elevators, right? It's all lifts and pulleys. And, and, and because they had mad engineering, right? Although no technology to speak of, but mad engineering. And um, I mean, like the Romans spent a thousand years with slaves because they had a slave economy. Where's all the breakthroughs? Where's all the fucking Greek ideas and shit? The Greeks invented a steam engine that could climb up a hill and push things. And the Romans, eh, we got slaves. Um, (laughs) At the amphitheater, uh, so like the Panthers would come up in an elevator, boom. And then there they'd be. And they'd play me. And someone would go, the Panthers. And then... I'm not kidding. They had a guy announcing who wore a wig and shit and did funny moves and, the, you know, the extrapolating and whatever. And then, the, the, you know, the emperor would sit down front. Uh, Caesar famously brought his paperwork with him to the games, right? Uh, most emperors would go to the games just to show they were one of the boys, right? Because people, it was free, uh, and people would go. Senators sat down front. No women. The Vestal Virgins got to sit up top. They had their own section, right? And, by the way, Vestal Virginity, something, if I am elected, we're bringing it back. <laughs> Because all of the sacred documents of the land were kept in the Vestal Virgin's uh, house, which no one was allowed into. And any breach of that was so. We would keep the Constitution there and the medical marijuana. There's a lot of uses for Vestal Virgins. Caesar brought his paperwork to the games and would spread it out and fucking work during the games and shit, right, with his secretary. And people were like, spoil sport. A guy just got his head cut off by a dwarf. And you're not even fucking watching. Uh, Yeah. So uh, I don't think baseball would have been a big winner. And the other games was chariots, just like in the movie Ben-Hur, if you've ever seen Ben-Hur, or the awesome movie The Phantom Menace, where I'm the pod race announcer. (laughs) And what can only be described as the most oblique homage to Ben-Hur ever fucking recorded. In the chariot racing, right, which was in the Hippodrome, they would have different colors of teams. That's how they... It wasn't like... You know, in the movie they go, from Abyssinia or whatever. I think they actually give the countries in the movie, from Macedonia, please welcome. Uh, in, in Rome, it was red, group, red, blue, green, white, yellow. That was the colors. And so you, people were lifelong fans of the green. You read it in history books, man. They fucking rooted for the green, you know. And, and chariot racers sometimes won thousands of races, like jockeys now, and were famous for it. And gladiators also, as well as being kept in a barracks uh, adjacent to the amphitheater, um, trained all the time, were given, had as good of medicine as you could be provided, because they had to repair them all the time. They had a better diet than everyone else, because they had to be fucking buffed and strong and shit. And uh, rich ladies would often pay them to come over and make the gladiator with two backs. So uh, they were kind of rock starry in that regard. Uh, I'm not saying it was a fun life. You could have your eye poked out by a fucking mace or whatever. Uh, in any case, I don't think baseball would be a big winner in ancient Rome. Not if you, could, not if you had the idea of chariots racing around a fucking track nine times. Oh. And as for their other games, I'm joking. I see the crowd is ready to fucking move on here. That's why it's my show and not yours. I believe it was Yogi Berra who said, ain't it over till it's over. And then Lenny Kravitz said it again in a song. <laughs> and I believe it was the Emperor Diocletian who said, it's not over till I fucking say it's over. And I'm rooting for the yellow team. Uh, the Roman Emperor baseball team. I had Julius Caesar managing uh, for obvious reasons because uh, he was quite a manager of people and men. He knew his soldiers by name often, and he knew all the officers by name. And, at, and then when they were in a pitch battle, say Elysia or whatever battle you want to think of, 
uh, when the shit was hitting the fan and he needed to rally the troops, he would appear wearing a red cloak and run out into the front and fight like everyone else with a fucking sword in his hand. I would like to see all the people in the Senate in the United States over the last 12, 15... It's 105. Someone was just checking their watch. I'll give time checks here. (laughs) We're almost done. We're, We're heading toward an ending. But you have a whole rest of a fucking Roman baseball team to go through, and I don't want to hear it. Yeah. Bit, bit of a hostage situation now, isn't it? He, uh, I'd like to see all the people who are warmongers, who love war so much, who say that we have to fight Iraq, who have to fight Afghanistan, we have to fight Iran, we have to fight all these countries. It's our moral imperative. We, oh, my God, we have to fight terror. The Al-Qaeda is going to kill you and shit like that. I have to rub your balls at the airport and your water's going to explode if you bring it in a bag. All that shit. I'd like to see them wear a red cloak and run to the front of the fucking line and get a fucking giant canister of... Yeah. I'm sick of it. False bravado is horrifying, and I think the group player stated it best, uh, as I did, as I uh, noted in my Sacramento podcast. Uh, they did the song "Baby Come Back" in the '70s, and if you recall the song, uh, he's lost his girl and he wants her back. Ergo, "Baby Come Back," which I believe is "Baby Comma Come Back," and uh, he says, "All day long wearing a mask of false bravado." Yeah. That's how. That's how bad it can be. Augustus at first, Tiberius at second. Tiberius was grumpy. But he did move to Capri, and who can blame him? Capri's beautiful, really beautiful. It smells like bay leaves uh, and lemon. Heliogobulus, or sometimes he's known as Eliogobulus at shortstop. He was a very perverse emperor late in the, late in the day, and he was from Syria, and uh, every manner of sexual mayhem. That's why I put him at short, because as I said, he could handle... Balls. Um, Marcus Aurelius III, because he was the philosopher. Constantine in center, because Constantine uh, changed the empire from uh, paganism to Christianity. Here's where I had to correct. Left field, I had Otho, because I said Otho was uh, the one who was a blue-collar, middle-class equestrian. I was wrong, of course. Uh, Otho is from the year of the four emperors, right, when Nero got aced. And, by the way, Nero thought he was a great actor, uh, much like me. He would get up on stage, and no one was allowed to talk or move or do anything while he was up there. And if you, if you fucking blinked or shit, he had you executed. Uh, and if we could only bring those Neronian rules back to my podcast... <laughs> Evidently, at a giant festival, uh, uh, drama festival in Greece, he was doing a piece, one of his monologues, and he dropped his fucking st- uh, liar to the ground, and the judges gave him the gold laurel wreath anyway, even though clearly he wasn't the best because he dropped his fucking thing in the middle of the game. Uh, when he died, and he couldn't even kill himself, he was that kind of sissy Roman, and that was a big thing with the Romans, to kill yourself. Um, he had his slave kill him, and he said, what an artist dies with me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's why I put him in right. Because, uh, it, as I said, if, 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 if he fucked up or made an error, he would just blame the Christians. Because <laughs> Rome burned under him, and he blamed the Christians for it. Oh. Otho was from the year four emperors. After Nero got off, there was three other emperors, Galba and Otho and him. And uh, Otho was a bon viveur, is how he's described in the history books. Uh, it jaded. Uh, it was, I meant Vespasian. I know a lot of you out there were wondering about this. And I've, rece- I've received exactly no emails on this subject. I, however, was tossing and turning all night. I heard the milkman at the door. Really? You still have a milkman in your neighborhood, Greg? I couldn't sleep at all last night. Uh, 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 uh. I met Vespasian. Vespasian um, was the one who helped uh, rebuild Rome and was um, uh, the blue-collar one. Caligula catching. And now I've added some pictures. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. (laughs) Who else would catch? He would wake people up in the middle of the night and go, come on down, I've worked out a dance routine and shit. And everyone had to call him God because he thought he was God or God's... uh, He thought he was Zeus. Uh, The difference between uh, Caligula and me is I know I'm Zeus. (laughs) He just thought he was. Alexander thought he was Zeus Amon, which was two gods mixed together which we don't do anymore, and more's the pity. Why is our God always a white guy God with a beard played by Anthony Hopkins or Morgan Freeman and shit? Why can't our God be like, you know, a, a lesbian Mexican meets a fucking Filipino dude God? I don't ever... I don't, the, 
I mean, that was what the Egyptians had right. Because as soon as anyone came in and conquered them, they'd go, okay, it was Amon, but now it's Zeus too. Or it was Isis and now it's Venus too. Or it's Athena and Isis. And do what you like. It's got a pig head and it walks backwards and it's got wings and it eats you when you're dead and it flies across the sky every night on a wax tablet. Have fun. Why can't we have that? Instead, we have Christians come... I don't know if you heard that fucking congressman burn the other day. He said, evolution and science are lies from the pit of hell. This didn't happen a thousand years ago. This happened two days ago. You can watch the video. Go on YouTube and watch this... Just, just Google congressman pit of hell and you'll see. He goes, evolution's from the pit of hell. And then he said that the Holy Bible is his guidance for being in Congress. Fucking God help us. Zeus Amon help us, okay? Oh, horned, winged God. Oh, Mazda, who ruled over ancient Persepolis. In your wisdom, will you fly down with your winges and fucking slaughter these infidels? Science is not from the pit of hell, you fucking... Oh, my God. He chairs the science committee. This is America right now, you guys. Well, I don't see what's wrong with this country. We're the greatest country in the world. We're, we're exceptional. <laughs> we're so lucky that when we land in other countries, they don't make us all get in a little short yellow bus. <laughs> if I told you the prime minister of England thought that science was from the pit of hell, would you, you'd be kind of like, that's fucked up. Should we be dealing with them? The head of the science committee, the chair of the science committee, thinks that evolution is from the pit of hell. First of all, prove to me there's a hell. I've been to fucking Missouri and shit. <laughs> I think you'll find Sartre was right when he said hell is other people. <laughs> there doesn't need to be there doesn't need to be a made up hell with brimstone and and someone pouring lava up your butt through a funnel or whatever. We've already got it. Uh, Caligula catching. I put a couple pictures in. I knew that a lot of you were interested and wanted to know. Uh, the starting picture, Trajan, because the empire was never bigger than when Trajan was an uh, uh, um, emperor. He also beat the shit out of the Dacians and the Parthians. Uh, really, Greg? That's riveting. And secondly, and then in relief, a relief picture, I needed one, uh, Hadrian, uh, who built the wall, yes, and was uh, most avowedly um, batted for both teams. How do I put this delicately? Uh, he loved all things classical. His nickname in ancient Rome was Greekling. Mm -hmm. uh, he tasted more man bag than fucking Lindsay Lohan. I, of course, was referring uh, in my final correction uh, to Shirley Chisholm when I said last week, I said she was from Barbados, which is true. The per a person wrote me and said Shirley Chisholm wasn't from Barbados. Uh, she was born in New York City. Um, but she grew up in Barbados, and that has nothing to do with it at all. Wrong piece of paper. Uh, in any case, she was a congressperson from New York. I was confusing her with Barbara Jordan, uh, who was the congressperson, uh, also a black lady. Uh, she was the congressperson from Texas. Shirley Chisholm um, was from New York. Here, let me read you a little bit about it. A native of Brooklyn, New York, Shirley Chisholm received her baccalaureate degree from Brooklyn College and her master's from Columbia. In 68, Chisholm defeated James Farmer in a race to represent New York's 12th congressional district in the House of Representatives, becoming the first African-American woman elected to the U.S. Congress. Chisholm gave this speech at a conference on black women in America at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, 1974. This is a book called Great Speeches by African-Americans. Uh, and this is the paragraphs I wanted to read to you because I wanted to correct myself. One, uh, as I asserted earlier, people are always asking me, well, is there no hope for America? You see Paul Ryan on TV debating Joe Biden. Uh, Joe Biden laughed too hard and too loud uh, sometimes. Uh, other times it was quite right for him to laugh and scoff. There was a couple times it got a little uh, cable guy, Jim Carrey. Uh, I thought there was a few <laughs> kind of laughs a few times. Like, all right, I don't want him to go, spank you, spank you very much or whatever. Like, calm down. But when they got to the abortion question, and this cuts to the very heart of the fucking matter, uh, and they asked Paul Ryan straight up, abortion, and now we're using the word abortion, which is so fucking healthy in this country, finally, that we're grown up enough to just say it. Paul Ryan went, when my daughter was being born, we had an ultrasound, and she looked like a bean, and so we call her bean. And then the extrapolation being, because he loved his daughter and she looked like a bean when she was an embryo, no one should have any rights. <laughs> 
that women should die in back alleys with fucking hangers inside them or have to visit quacks and shit like that or fucking abort themselves at home and that there should be no civil rights for women in regard to their own fucking uteruses because his daughter looked like a bean. It made no sense whatsoever. It was the most specious fucking bullshit argument I've ever heard in my entire life. This is what passes for adult discourse during a presidential election? I think fucking not. We have to demand more from the people who run for office. Um, and then people go, well, there's two sides to everything. No, there's a million sides to everything. There's not two sides. The problem with America is we've winnowed everything down to one big side that has two various kind of almost the same facets of it. If you really think everything in the world is either black and white, you're a fucking moron or unbelievably naive. And secondly, your fucking religious beliefs have no place in public office. There's a separation of church and state that's guaranteed by the Constitution. I mean, we have in God we trust on our money and all that jazz, and we have to say the Pledge of Allegiance, and they added under God, as you know. That was added. The Pledge of Allegiance never had one nation under God. That was added in the 50s. And then they finally stopped praying in school and shit. But then now, oh, no, I, my belief system dictates that I squash everyone else's rights. Fuck your belief system. My belief system dictates anybody gets to do whatever the fuck they want as long as they don't hurt anyone else. And the idea that your daughter looked like a bean and therefore a woman has to die for your fucking daughter that looked like a bean? Are you out of your goddamn mind? What looked like a bean was him. He looked like Mr. Bean halfway through the fucking debate. With the fucking ears up. I'm just, you know, he's more intelligent than Sarah Palin. That's all you can say about him. He actually knows where Afghanistan was. He knew what he was talking about. He's not a complete thumping moron. And then the next sentence, he was like, and the government's impinging on the Catholic Church because they're making them give out contraception and blah, 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 blah. Hey, welcome to the 21st fucking century, Catholic Church. If there's one group of people that should be concerned about wearing condoms, you would think it might be the very members of the clergy of the Catholic Church since they seem so intent on impressing their belief system in a physical way onto their congregation. Yeah, they fuck boys and girls, okay? Let's just say it. Well, shouldn't it be funny? Shouldn't you couch it another way? Not if you're going to go all quiet and sensitive on me. We've seen the Catholic Church's respect for young people's sexuality. Could they at least have the decency, since they have a league of decency, to hand out a few fucking condoms if the government asks them to and shit, instead of hiding behind some medieval fucking dogma? Really? I have to listen to what the Pope said in 1100 and that's still fucking law? Hokey mokey. Shirley Chisholm said this. Uh, but my point was this. Is there hope for the world? Yes, even though Paul Ryan is running. Uh, there's hope for the world. Even though everything looks like it's going to shit, even though the, their nuclear fallout from Fukushima is never ever going to be explained to us, or the fact that w in three days later there was a giant wave that hit the West Coast that caused untold hundreds of millions of dollars of damage to every port in California. Remember that story? No, Greg, I never heard it because the news didn't fucking report it. Never mind Hawaii. No one's ever mentioned Hawaii. Hawaii was in the path of the tsunami that came full of radiation between here and Japan. No one's ever said, hey, you shouldn't go to Hawaii because it's a bubbling pool of fucking papayas that light up at night and stuff. <laughs> We're never going to be told the truth about it. Uh, despite all those things, and despite the fact that, uh, you know, uh, creepy white guys still run the world, uh, there is hope, and here's why. I stand here tonight to tell you, my sisters, that if you have the courage of your convictions, you must stand up and be counted. Quiet crowd that goes judgmental. There's no more time for I haven't decided yet, or I don't know which side I'm on, or I'm considering all decisions, or God, you're really biased, Greg, and opinionated. It's because I'm informed and I know what I'm thinking. Think about what you think about. Inform yourself, and then you too will have an opinion that you can back up instead of going, well, I don't fucking know. Don't be a fucking dish rag. Gross. Don't be a fucking annelid worm. Come out of your shell at the bottom of the ocean toward the hot vents that blow. I hope that this day will come in America when the business of male versus female does not become such an overriding issue. Really? She said that in 1974, and we had to hear the Bean speech two nights ago in 2012. No one said woman, by the way, when they talked about abortion. Biden might have said the word woman once. No one would say the word woman in, in reference to abortion. Uh, thank God Martha was there to fucking clit slap those bitches. 
so that the talents and abilities of the Almighty God have given to people, italicized, can be utilized for the benefit of humanity. One has to recognize there are stupid white women, stupid white men, stupid black women, stupid black men, brilliant white women, brilliant white men, brilliant black women, and brilliant black men. Why do we get so hung up in America on this question of sex? Of course, in terms of the black race, we understand the historical circumstances. We understand also some of the subtle maneuverings and machinations behind the scenes in order to prevent black women and black men from coming together as a race of unconquerable men and women. And I just want to say to you tonight, if I say nothing else, I would have never been able to make it in America if I had paid attention to all of the doomsday criers about me. And I want to say in conclusion that as you have this conference here for the next two weeks, put the car- this podcast festival... Put the cards on the table and do not be afraid to discuss issues that perhaps you have been sweeping under the rug because of what people might say about you. You must remember that once we all are able to face the truth, the truth shall shall set us all free. In conclusion, I want to say to you, black and white, north and east, south and west, men and women, the time has come in America when we should no longer be the passive complacent recipients of whatever the morals or the politics of a nation may decree for us in this nation. Forget traditions, exclamation point. Forget conventionalisms, exclamation point. Forget what the world will say, whether you're in your place or out of your place. Stand up and be counted. Do your thing, looking only to God, whoever your God is, and your consciences for approval. I thank you. This has been the Smartest Man in the World Proofcast. Thank you so much for coming out tonight. May every page you turn be a satchel page. My name's Ben Greg Proofs. You have been awesome. I love you so much. Good night, everybody.